Now I've been happy lately Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, I've been smiling lately Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Cause out on the edge of darkness There rides a peace train Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. Um, in this episode, we'll be looking at The Defenders. Um, the Defenders was published in 1953 in January in the magazine Galaxy. It says here in the notes, the, the liner notes in the collected stories of Philip K. Dick, that parts of this story were adapted for the novel The Penultimate Truth. I'm not sure that is quite true. I'm... There are some ideas here that show up in the penultimate truth, but I, I think they're very different texts. The only thing that's really the same is this idea of people living in the bunkers being fed a story that war is going on. But beyond that, they're very, very different in, in almost every way, which is something I'll, I'll get to, I think, when we look at the penultimate truth, which won't be for quite a while. But um, just for now, I... I think it's the penultimate truth is much more complex and interesting than the defenders. That said, the defenders is one of Dick's most important early tales. Um, not only you know it's he does borrow this idea again, so he obviously thought there was something to it. Um, but it it's I don't want to say it closes a, a period of his career, but it just sets it, instead it really sets down a lot of ideas that are going to be developed later on. Um, so anyways, jumping right to this, the, and the anal or the, 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 the summary. Um, so it starts out, we meet this character, Taylor. Taylor's enjoying a rest period while his wife, Mary is reading, reading the news, which is reporting that Moscow was originally hit with a bomb, a nuclear bomb. So we have, um, we have other news too, such as new submarines developing that will strike Soviet targets from underwater. Um, so we got this kind of. 1984-ish vibe of this continual perpetual war. The people are living in, you know, down in these bunkers underground, f fighting this war, making materials. They're making robots, which are fighting the war on the surface. So we have automated war. We have perpetual war. And this way, it, it does kind of remind one of Orwell in the sense that, you know, war is being fought, but no one's really experiencing the war outside of being workers. You know, war is something that, that's distant. It's not even clear, you know, if the war is, is really going on enough, but people believe it, right? So everyone's living in bunkers. That's it. Um, everyone's living underground. Most of the surface has been rendered uninhabitable by wars. And because of that, the wars have to be fought with these robots. So all the war is perpetual, which asks, asks an interesting question. Like, what's the point of destroying a city if no one's living in them anymore? Right? So... The couple miss life on the surface, um, but they take comfort in the so that the Soviets are getting the worst in the war. They're getting, the, you know, they're getting at the hardest. Taylor's day of rest, though, is interrupted from a call from Moss, who requested that he come to the second level below the surface for an emergency meeting. So this is something we all can relate to. We have a nice day off, and we get a call from the boss saying, you got to come in. We got stuff to talk about. So he comes to the meeting. And Moss introduces Taylor to a man named Commander Franks of Internal Security. And they proceed 
to the like the first stage directly below the surface. So basically, they go up, basically to the doors that lead to the surface. Taylor thinks of the condition on the surface. He's anxious to even think about going under the surface. It's dev devastated by war, of course. It's all radiated. The only people there's no people up there. There's just leddies. There's just robots um, fighting a violent, devastating war. Why else would we need to be producing these endless quantities of, of robots? Frank tells the others that he interviewed an Aledi, one of these robots, as part of a regular process of, of following the war, getting news, getting reports. And this Aledi is questioned about the conditions on the surface. The odd part of this discussion is that while the leaders want greater access to the surface to study the conditions, the Aledi strongly resists any suggestion that humans go to the surface. You know, it's it's almost like he protests too much kind of situation. It's, it's almost odd in how much he resists humans going to the surface. Um, but what's really strange and what really bothers the humans who are studying this is the ro robot, the lady, shows no signs of radioactivity, which you would expect from him being on the surface, uh, exposed to all this radiation. Frank explains that since this is not the first time they've had strange interviews with the robots, they're going to send a team to the surface to investigate. Now, over Mary's objections, Taylor has chosen to be part of the team that will go to the surface. And I'm not really sure why, just because he's the character, I suppose. Maybe he's got some specialization. I'd have to go back and look. Maybe because he's, he's kind of a scientist. Um, anyways, he's sent up to be part of the team that will, will report on the surface. Meanwhile, you get increasing reports of devastating Soviet attacks, which, in a sense, is, as we'll learn, later learn, is probably chosen by the robots to warn people not to come up. But Moss and Frank become convinced that these are fake reports orchestrated by the robots to prevent the team from coming to the surface. The team meets with robots on the surface, on the top of the tower, uh, which is a, a tube that connects the bunkers to the surface, so they kind of have to come up uh, through this kind of elevator. Frank demands an audience with a, a top-level leddy. So apparently these robots are, are built with an internal hierarchy, which is really an odd idea, I think. Um, maybe this is just because as humans, we can't imagine a society functioning without hierarchy. So when we have a, a society kind of functioning auto by automation, it needs hierarchies as well. As well. This is pre-internet. Um, so Dick maybe didn't have this clear idea that you could have a functioning network, right? Um, but for, for him, you just kind of need boss robots. The, this boss robot expresses disbelief and insists that the surface is so radioactive that humans simply cannot remain long, safely long on the surface, and they should go back down immediately. But the humans ignore them and insist that they're the bosses, they have authority over the ladies, they're the programmers, they're the builders, and the robots should listen to what the humans want. So the team remains and questions the, the robot. In one final effort, the lead Letty, the A-class Letty, kind of the boss one, the boss robot, claims that they have taken over all aspects of the war for humans' benefits and that they must leave immediately. So actually, it's interesting. The robot is pretty reflective and able to adapt his story to try to convince the humans to go back below the surface. Now, they can't fire at the humans. They can't kill them. And I guess that's in their programming or something. Maybe they have Asimovs in them. So they cannot um, fire, uh, shoot at them. But 
their threats are obviously a facade, and the team just destroys the leddies and imposes control over the room, and they demand to see the surface. And when they go out there, they see an agrarian scene. They see roads, they see farmhouses, windmills. It's almost this quaint 18th century idyllic paradise that Dick has such a fascination for. And we'll get to this in, in later stories. There's actually one called John's World, which is a sequel to Second Variety, a story we'll look at shortly. And there you have that same idealization of like the 18th century and a, and a desire to go back to the rural 18th century life. What's clear is that there's no evidence of a great war. So with their scheme exposed, or at least part of their scheme exposed, the leddies are forced to report on the truth. So the leader, Robot, he says that human cultures tend towards cultural unification, which will lead one day to ultimate world peace. Despite the war, signs were that humans were on the last stage of this development, having only been divided into two camps. So in the point of view of the robots here, the Cold War was progress. So in, you know, in the previous era, you had, I guess in the earliest human societies, you have clans and tribes fighting it out. So you have basically this chaos. Over time, they develop into nation states, which fight for dominance. And eventually, after World War II, you have two camps, the Soviet and the, the American camp. And that's progress, because now you're down to just two. So from the robot's point of view, this is simply the last stage before total cultural unification. The Lighties have been preparing for this unification by repairing the cities damaged by the final war, destroying all the weapons sent to the surface, and basically being engaged in peace operations, cleaning up the radiation, setting up the infrastructure for a peaceful world civilization. And to keep, to buy time essentially for this to happen, they send down the reports that, that war is going on. Um, but they, they had to buy time until conditions were ready for their return. Frank realizes that this may be an opportunity. If the Soviets don't know about the truth, they could be secretly attacked. But the Leddies inform the team that Soviets have already reached the surface just like them. Some have been asking the same questions, and they came to the surface as well, and they simply cannot be allowed back to the bunkers. Um, so you have, you have some humans on the surface already uh, who have kind of filtered up over time. However, the robots can't harm humans, but they could seal the tubes to the surface, is, which is what they do. The team then meets the Russians, the Soviets, who have reached the surface earlier, and they just sit down and discuss their future. You know, what else can they do? Uh, and they decide to settle in one of the villages, um, and they replace the diplomatic, the formal diplomatic relationships that's, that they began with, because as they came up, they came up to the surface as Americans and Russians, right? But due to the realities of their situation, this must be replaced with solidarity. So they give up the diplomatic and they replace it with the communitarian. They achieve work, common struggle, and a common goal. They achieve the cultural unification that the Leddies advocated for. And with the end of the war on Earth in sight, the dream of a future without poverty, without war, and a human presence in the stars is possible to be dreamed of. Okay, that's the story. So um, let's let's talk about it a little bit. It's really one of the most important of Dick's earlier short stories. Um, we have several important themes here that are explored in later works, um, and I, I've been kind of saying that a lot here. I should try to drop it. It's it's kind of becoming a bad habit um, because 
there are threads in Dick's work. And of course, the seeds of these threads are planted early on and they, they carry on. So uh, I'll try to avoid saying that in the future. But we have automation, the dangers of automation. We have the irrationality of war. Um, we have Dick's call for human-skilled communities. And how he jives that with space exploration and advanced technology is something we can get to later on, too. We got the question of the nature of power. Uh, the, 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 on the one hand, the robots have the power to deceive, and they apply that to some other goal. And we have the humans, the people in charge of the human society, tending towards violence and war. Uh, it seems to me that Dick shares the opinion of the Lettys. When the internal security agent Frank learns of the truth, his immediate response is to carry on the war, despite the clear evidence that the surface situation is vastly better to that which is below the surface and better than that's what's depicted by the machine. So even when you see war is stupid, it's useless, the immediate response of the humans is, let's keep fighting. Now, this might be a downside of the robot's plan because by, the, by beaming down a constant narrative of war, to the bunkers, they're creating a war culture, a culture of, of, of survival of the fittest. And that's, I think, might undermine the broader goals of, of cultural unification. So I'm not sure how that is worked out. I, I think the way Dick gets around this is by forcing the Soviets and the Americans together. I should put those in quotes, Soviets and Americans, because they're hardly that at that point. Um, they're just bunker dwellers. But by putting the forcing them together to work together in a village, they are, they're able to kind of overcome their, their tendency towards war. The dangers of automation are very complex in the story. In the gun, in autofact, even in the little movement, automation is just an abstract threat to humanity. It's dangerous if humans aren't controlled. But here, the leddies are automated. They're left to their own device. They don't do what they're supposed to do. They're, they're not fighting. They're capable of envisioning a, a different future. So automation is not a threat, but it's the means to avoid a destructive human tendency. So automation here is almost presented as a good thing in the sense that it escapes war, but it's it's also deceptive, right? It's also potentially uh, a schemer. It, it can't be trusted, certainly, but it does, that doesn't mean it's bad in this case. When Dick revisits this theme in The Penultimate Truth, he has to back away from this. And this is why I think they're really different stories, fundamentally. He backs away this because he needs to create a class of feudal elite. He needs humans to do the deception. It can't be simply robots. And I think there's some maturation in his view on automation um, by the time he gets to the penultimate truth almost a decade later. Interestingly, it's because the Lettys were given autonomy, automation, necessarily to maintain the complicated war effort, that they are... They're able to may have the decision-making capacity. That's what I want to say. They don't have the decision-making capacity to be able to go beyond their programming. The key difference is that the autofac, the automated factory, um, is not being charged with human humanity's best interest. They're only given instructions to produce. So these leddies were kind of charged with protecting human interests. And they interpret that to being end the war, right? And to cultivate a new life on the surface. Now, as a commentary in power, the defenders is fascinating and complex as well. The leddies have no real power over the humans, do they? What is it? They, they can't even shoot them. 
right, to maintain the secret. They can lie to them, but they can't shoot them. They can't harm the humans who reach the surface. They put on a good show, however. They're capable of threats and bravado, but no real violence. Their power depends only on deception and the use of the media, right? So, of course, states have the power to threaten and kill, but they can't kill everyone, right? So, to, on some level, you know, one a, well, a king, a king or a, a dictator or a president can only really command a society of millions if there's some acceptance of an external authority, right? Um, it's irrational to think one man, just by declaring himself king, could rule over millions. Um, with you know, and even if they have the use of force, they can't kill everyone, right? So, power must always be based in some level on deception, media use, ideology right uh philosophy so something has to be there if the defenders is dick's vision of the extent of political power it's pretty optimistic actually the state is ultimately weak and can be overthrown can be exposed can be um overturned ideology and mass media are a pretty weak facade in the end of the day our long-term solution for humanity presented in the story is contradictory. On the one hand, the Lettys point out that humanity is moving towards a more unified, homogenous culture. War will end. And when will it end? When there's no longer any external group. So diversity is incompatible with peace. Is that the point? When two small groups reach the surface, Russians and Americans, the solution is more intimate. It's not based on cultural unification. It's based simply on the need for community, right? It's, I guess they're talking English together. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they're talking Russian. It's not clear. But can global unification be based on interpersonal face-to-face -face solidarity? Can't I meet someone who's culturally distinct from me and still agree I have to work together to survive? Why is this, is this a fetish of states, of civilizations, that we need some kind of cultural unification to achieve any kind of cooperation? This is what the Lede seem to suggest. Quote, it is necessary for this hatred within the culture to be directed outward towards an external group so that the culture itself may survive its crisis. War is a result. War to the logical mind is absurd, but in terms of human needs, it plays a vi viral role. And it will continue until man has grown up enough so that no hatred lies within him. But if this future, if this is the future, if the future is small communities of former enemies working together, what will stop them from resurrecting animosity towards outward groups? Dick does not resolve this possible contradiction in the short story. But ultimately, I, I don't think it has to be resolved because I'm just going to disagree with Dick that you need cultural unification for peace. Right? Cultural unification, if anything, promotes war, unless you can really achieve this total global civilization. Every historical example of creating unified cultures in regions, in nation states, in empires, is creates creates war. Right? I I almost want to sit them down and say, okay, create cultural unification on Earth. I'll grant that creates peace on Earth. What's gonna stop this from just being used against the robot someday, or used against an, uh, another force. In fact, there's hints at the end of the story that humanity is going to go to the stars. So what's going to stop them just from fighting off other aliens? So I think in this way, it's a little bit undeveloped. And I, for all these reasons, I think the penultimate truth is going to be a much more mature, sober 
realistic and, and politically useful story. Nevertheless, The Defenders has a lot of great and interesting stuff in it, and it's really a nice thing to talk about. Um, so uh, with that, I'll, I'll close the, the book on The Defenders, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe, and share. Um, if you enjoy this, you might get something out of my 100 Pages project, which is on the same website, um, my same Podbean account, and that is where I'm looking at American writers more broadly. Uh, so thank you for listening, and, and I'll see you next time. Smiling lately, thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, peace train sounding louder. Light on the peace train. Train, holy roller, everyone jump upon the beat.